when I was in college, I intended to become a doctor after, but then I think fate brought me to become an environmental lawyer. In college, I used to visit Payatas. This Payatas is the garbage uh, dump site of Metro Manila. There, um, we would visit this site every Sunday to talk to the kids. And I think being exposed to that at a very young age and knowing the realities that they were facing every day, the way they live their life with flies everywhere that you can barely eat. And so, yeah, I think that also brought me to a lot of realities that somehow I need to help them and help the those who are those in the marginalized communities like them. My name is Wu Yufei. I'm a Sustainable Asia producer based in China. And I'm Jennifer Turner, director of the China Environment Forum at the Wilson Center in Washington, D.C. You just heard Rose Lisa Isma Osorio, legal and policy director at the NGO Oceana, talking about the waste picker communities that make their living sorting through piles of plastic waste, a common sight now in the Philippines and throughout Asia. In our last episode, we introduced the Global Plastic Treaty and raised questions as to whether this United Nations initiative can make a dent in the plastic waste crisis we in Asia can't seem to shake on our own. In this episode, we're going to tell you an amazing story how Lisa is battling the Philippine government to enforce waste management laws put in place decades ago but largely ignored. And following through on these laws could finally lead to bans on single-use plastic in the Philippines. These types of single-use plastic bans will likely be debated in the global plastic treaty negotiations. Later in the episode, we speak with an environmental leader from Thailand on how the Global Plastic Treaty is going to move the needle in Asia on data monitoring. Lisa is now a professor at the University of Cebu School of Law, but she didn't start out with this goal in mind. (laughs) Yes, um... Yeah, I didn't know I was going to be a lawyer, but so um, I was born in a small island in southern Philippines. But then, you know, the important thing about living in that small island was the fact that everywhere I turned, I could see the ocean. And as a little girl, climbing up to our rooftop and just spend my time daydreaming and looking at the ocean. And so I think essentially I was connected to the ocean because of where I lived and where I was born. And so I've always felt that there was something, a deeper connection between me and the ocean because of that. Lisa started working with the NGO Oceana on their various legal campaigns about seven years ago. And in 2015, working with Oceana, she won a Supreme Court case appointing her as the legal protector of Philippine Ocean Life. And in fact, I'm known as one of the stewards of nature in because one in one particular landmark case that we filed in the country, 
we represented to the Supreme Court that we were the guardians, we were the stewards of these resident mammals and dolphins because we were fighting against an oil exploration in that protected seascape. In 2015, the court recognized my standing in court as the legal guardians of, together with another colleague uh, who is a vice president of OSHA, they recognized that we are, we were the guardians of the resident mammals and dolphins of this um, protected seascape. After this amazing victory protecting Philippine sea life against oil exploration, Lisa and Oceana moved on to battling illegal dumping and landfills in the country. So we asked her to tell us the story of a new case that she's taken up on behalf of waste pickers and other Philippine communities whose lives have been made worse by the government's mismanagement of plastic waste. Okay, so, um, well, I think I could start with the regulatory scene first. So in the Philippines, as you know, we are one of the, I think, top three countries who are known to be the polluters of plastic in the world. And the reason why we think uh, we are in this position is because we have not implemented a 20-year-old law on solid waste management. So this law was passed in 2001, and it intended in one of the provisions for a National Solid Waste Management Commission to actually list the non-environmentally acceptable products. And based on the definition under this law is that non-environmentally acceptable products are those that are toxic to the environment, toxic to the health. The commission is supposed to list them down every year. And after listing them down, they should start to ban these plastic products. Lisa is referring to RA-9003, a law passed by the Philippine Congress and approved by the president. It set out a policy direction for an effective solid waste management program in the country that clearly was ignored. So one of the plaintiffs that we found was a plastic waste picker. And, you know, I talked to her and she said, like, yeah, I think it's high time that the government do something about this because, you know, plastics is really disrupting, you know, our livelihood, my livelihood as the main breadwinner of the family. I have to spend more time sorting this waste, plastic waste from waste that I can make money of. And that takes me hours and takes me away from my family where I should be doing more together with my family. But I have to do this because I have no choice because of the government's failure also to implement the Solid Waste Management Act. So the government's lack of follow through with these waste management regulations impacted people's lives in ways Lisa hadn't considered before. So that's when um, we realize that the impacts of plastics is not only about the impacts on the environment, the impacts on the health, but also sometimes the impacts of women and equity. And aside from the face speaker also, we also talked to many young people and they were so interested. They, they wanted like the government to do something about it because they were saying like 21-year-old law that hasn't been implemented, it's basically the same age as us. So, you know, we already grew up, but the government has still not done anything about this law. And, and so, in fact, there were 51 plaintiffs, and half of those were young people studying in many different parts of the country who willingly, you know, gave their time and energy into this plastic lawsuit that we filed. So Lisa and her Oceana team gathered a wide group of plaintiffs together for the legal case. 
So you could see that the plaintiffs were representatives from different sectors of society. So you would have children, you had youth, you had waste pickers, you had local government officials also who join us because they were saying like, if the national government doesn't do anything at the local level, we're also the one trying to grapple with all these concerns and we lack the resources. So we need the national government to do something about it. Like the U.S., there is a check and balance system in the Philippines. Courts can force the administrative side of government to take action on laws that were passed by Congress but not enforced. And clearly, in the Philippines, 20 years of voluntary programs like extended producer responsibility and zero-waste communities that we have reported so much about, these voluntary initiatives were just not enough to address plastic pollution there. So Lisa and Oceana took the case to the court system. When we filed it last November, we were able to receive a court order on December 15, where the Supreme Court, basically they accepted our petition. So we asked Lisa what she thought the overall impact of the cases would be. Like, what are they really trying to get out of the court cases in the end? The impact would be for government to start banning single-use plastics. Actually, we have specific demands like banning plastic forks, plastic utensils, plastic sears, plastic straws, even plastic bottles. So we have given them a list of non-environmentally acceptable products, start banning them, and start revisiting that list every year at least so that we can input more into the list as we go along. So it's just for them to start something, right? And truly enforce the law, which they should have done already. We talked earlier about the usefulness of bans on certain types of plastic waste that don't have a second life. Many scientists and activists do think the Global Plastic Treaty is going to have to address these problematic plastics to help out Asian countries like the Philippines with their mounting trash. Yep. Even here in China, the government moved forward with some new laws to control single-use plastics, which included data collection and a reporting by consumer goods companies on the use of single-use plastics. There were also new plastic waste policies in China. But because of COVID-19 resurgence this year, I am afraid local governments just haven't had time to implement many of these new policies. It's interesting because whatever the form of government in Asia, there's definitely a movement to find solutions that will permanently reduce single-use plastics. In China, besides closing the door to plastic waste imports, the government has been investing lots into waste management infrastructure, banning some of the most problematic plastics, and they've vowed to support international plastic pollution control efforts. True. You know, there is a saying we used in our first season called 8 million about China and plastic waste. You can't manage what you can't measure. Even with all the regulations and enforcement, we still need better data on the sources of plastic waste. So to learn more about the current state of data monitoring in Asia, we checked in with Dr. Sima Chaya, who is now president of the nonprofit Thailand Environment Institute after his long tenure as Thailand's Secretary of the Ministry of Natural Resources and Environment. 
actually in the country we produce plastic based laundry about two million ton per year but we can recycle only a few of them probably 25 percent of plastic waste come to the recycle and we are facing the problem with the plastic on the beach actually and plastic in the uh, marine uh, aquatic life. So Thailand is working with ASEAN and regional bodies to collect more data on marine plastic pollution. Also very important issue, even the microplastic recently in our region, uh, we are facing with the high concentration of microplastic from the marine plastic debris, not just only Thailand, but in the region. Just why we ask the ASEAN community to join hands together uh, to work on the roadmap to combating marine plastic debris in ASEAN region. When we work together, we just share the knowledge, share experience uh, to each other. If uh, some country have good practice and can share uh, other to other country as well. But just why we have to work together if the ASEAN community can learn from a developed country. I think we can manage our waste maybe quickly uh, than we do by ourselves. Uh, let's learn from community uh, to community, from country to country. I think uh, would be good for us to share and to learn uh, from developed country uh, as well. And like me, Dr. Simachaya has a bit of a yappy dog you can hear in the background. So we asked to be introduced. The dog name is uh, in Thai called Mern Mern. Mern is uh, 10,000. In all seriousness, though, Thailand, like many Southeast Asian countries, is struggling to control its plastic waste. Maybe that's what Moon was barking about. <laughs> Maybe. Under the National Solid Waste Management Status Report, they should identify how much plastics are in the environment. They should come up with an inventory even. Like, we don't know how much is out there, how much is being produced. And, and so we need to have a certain baseline about it. So that's one thing that we're also demanding. We need data. We need so that when when you know they start banning these items, you know, that we are demanding, we would be able to track us to how much has been taken out of the environment. Lisa was talking about what she is demanding in the courts from the Philippine government, but it really applies to all Asian nations. Yep, coordinated data monitoring is clearly something that Asia can benefit from. If a scientific commission, like the one created for carbon emission tracking, is initiated as part of the UN Plastic Treaty. There already is a new UN working expert group pulling together plastic data research and reporting. But it can help if Southeast Asian nations are also willing to use the courts to force governments to collect this data and implement single-use plastic bans. In the US, we are always willing to use the courts. Just a few days ago, California summoned ExxonMobil to account for their role in global plastic pollution. It will be interesting to see how that court case plays out. Wow. Maybe it's true that the tide has shifted. Maybe like with the carbon emissions, the UN Treaty on Plastics can mobilize the international community to action. 
Well, Lisa, a champion of environmental law in the Philippines, seems optimistic that the Global Plastic Treaty will make a difference. She explains why. Our concept there is actually, you know, in order to solve our problems on plastic, uh, the plastic pollution crisis, we have to stop the plastic at source, okay? So there, there's so many organizations focusing on, you know, the, the end of pipe solutions like reuse, recycle, EPR. For us, like, we see the problem as, you know, being in a bathroom with a bathtub and the bathtub is overflowing already. So what do you do? You don't clean, you don't clean the water around the bathtub, but close the faucet. For us, you have to stop that at source, the plastic production at source, by listing them down, banning them all, and then start reducing the amount of plastics in the environment. And then the Global Plastic Treaty will actually help because, you know, the Philippines is always at the forefront when it comes to international environmental laws or convention. If they sign the Global Plastic Treaty, and I'm confident that they will, then that would give us more Uh, ammunition and say, you know, you have committed and so you have to comply with your commitments or obligations under the Global Plastic Treaty. In our next and final episode, we'll look at new initiatives that are being forged alongside the Global Plastic Treaty negotiations. These innovative ideas aim to strengthen Asia's ability to fight the plastic waste crisis that has lasted far too long. This season on the Global Plastic Treaty was produced in partnership with the China Environment Forum at the Wilson Center and sponsored by the Japan Foundation's Center for Global Partnership. Jennifer Turner of the China Environment Forum was your co-host. Wu Yufei of Sustainable Asia was also your co-host and associate producer. Avery Choi was the sound engineer. A big thank you to our guests, Rose Lisa Aisma Osorio, representing Oceana and the University of Cebu Law School, and Dr. Simi Chaya of the Thailand Environment Institute. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. Thank you.